It's a film with three brains. 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 Oh my god, you guys are freaks. Okay, Jack, we're on the air in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, it's Monday morning, and I'm Jack Lucas. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer, they can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day, Jack went too far. It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. Yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, <gasps> he stumbled into Perry's. Unhand the degenerate and remove your presence! I like New York in June. How about you? You're out of your mind! Yes! Now, Jack has to do something he's never done before. Isn't she a vision? I'm deeply smitten. Help someone else. I thought that if I could get him this, uh, this girl that he loves, things would change for me. Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges, The Fisher King. I love this guy! Really hug me in public oh, again. Welcome to the film with three brains, Sam in San Francisco and Sean in Chicago and Cohen in Maplewood, New Jersey. And today we are reviewing the Fisher King It is what 1991 film starring Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams, uh, directed by Terry Gilliam. Uh, yeah, it's my only second time ever seeing this movie. I may be in the same boat. Yeah, I think I've seen it a couple of times because I remembered the Tom Waits bit when he does the, <laughs> the morality stoplight. He goes, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> I just remember that part. Anyway. <laughs> I remember Jack Squat. Yeah, I don't but remember much. I remember that I like it, which is why I picked it. And That's did it. you still like it? I did. We can discuss more after I give a brief synopsis. <laughs> okay. So Jeff Bridges is a radio DJ who, I don't know, through through a discussion with a with a guy on the who calls in, uh, kind of ends up. I wouldn't say that he's directly, but maybe maybe they're trying to say he's directly the reason why the guy who was on the other line hangs up the phone and goes and shoots people. Um, so it pretty much destroys, uh, Jeff Bridges life. He's, uh, down and out years later working in a, in a, um, video store and he, uh, ends up crossing paths with a, um, a homeless guy who is Robin Williams, who is in some ways a victim of that shooting and he decides that if he could somehow help him it would redeem uh the tragedy he caused years beforehand i think that's that's the synopsis 
Is that fair? Yes. All right. So (laughs) it doesn't, the synopsis really doesn't say, I mean, if you know Terry Gilliam, then you know that that's way too simplistic (laughs) because to me, this is like right when Terry Gilliam was making his best movies. You know, I love, I love the idea of, you know, and so does he of the crazy person who has insight, you know, and like, like, um, Brad Pitt and 12 monkeys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I I love the, just kind of the, how fast paced his movies can be, even though, even when, you know, the world isn't about to end. Like, I, I think this has that, that pacing. I don't know. What'd you guys think? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you, you know, you kind of touched on something right away that it's my, my biggest gripe. Oh, really? Is that I don't think Terry Gilliam should have directed this. I think it suffers because he's the director. I think it could have been better. Huh. Mostly because I find his directing style to be uh, incredibly distracting during this. Especially all, almost everything with Robin Williams. Really? Yeah, it really irked me. Everything with the Red Knight and all that shit, I didn't like that at all. So you didn't think that that needed to be there? You think it's a, <sighs> a necessary plot device that gets in the way of what the real story is? Uh, yeah, kinda, kinda. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure it doesn't need to exist. It's just I don't like the way he shoots scenes in this movie. I don't like the the camera work. I don't like the editing style. I don't like the way. He sort of frames his actors and shit. Like, I, I, it's hard to describe. I'm having a hard time describing it. I just found it all too Terry Gilliam for me, you know? Like, well, this is not, a, this isn't 12 Monkeys, you know? This isn't Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. To me, this needed to be more, far more subtle. Like, let, he got two first-rate actors to play really meaty parts, and I feel like he got in the way of it. Interesting. Yeah. Because I thought that, and when I saw Robin Williams come on screen... I was like, holy cow. I was like, just like his energy, the way, the way he d- delivered, you know, as, as the homeless man who, who, you know, saves him from being beat up by those punks and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I just felt like this is, this is the Robert Williams we love watching. Like yeah. he was just letting him, letting him, you know, lack of better words, go crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I, to me, I was like, that's taking his kind of random stand-up and putting it into a character and letting him go. I don't disagree with that. (laughs) I feel like Terry Gilliam treated this like a fantasy, and that's not what I wanted to see with this story. Oh, but see, that's what I'm saying. As soon as you... That's the problem with the synopsis, because as soon as you say Terry Gilliam, it is a fantasy. I can't separate Terry Gilliam from fantasy. And I just think this story shouldn't have been told that way. So would you go full full drama? Not necessarily. But well, what is I would treat it, it I would err in the other direction um personally and let the performances tell the entire story. Okay. Cuz these these two dudes are at the top of their game in 1991, you know. I mean, yeah. Obviously Robin Williams died, but and Jeff Bridges just keeps getting better, but as relatively young actors ish, you know, in late 30s, early 40s, they're they're just like they're so good. Mm-hmm. You know, this, for me, the Fisher King is like a story. You just set a camera up and just let them do their thing. Okay. You know, okay. Like the only way, to, the only way to fuck it up is 
to try too hard. And that's that's kind of what I feel like he did. Terry Gilliam. Do you think so, it was partially because of the music and the yeah and the constant like reminders of what yeah what he's doing what's yep. happening like every yeah. creative decision he made as a director I didn't care for yeah that doesn't okay. mean I don't like the movie necessarily either though because the because Jeff Bridges and Ryan Williams are so good and it's a it's a decent story to be told I guess um, it it doesn't it feels a little um. <sighs> Dated isn't the right word. I don't know. Well, it, I, I would say dated because, you know, the 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 murder sort of the shoot up stuff. Yeah. By today's standards, is is kind of almost commonplace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So now, if it happens, you'd be like, well, just another one. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. This would never happen. He's like, oh, I caused that. Oh well. <laughs> right. What Did I do? do that? Yeah. <laughs> Can't be helped. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I know what you're saying because I had some thoughts about that too. Like, I, you know, is do, do we need all of this stuff? You know, are we? You don't need. You don't need the night stuff. And it also, you know, one of the thing, one of my only kind of things that was sticking out as it goes along was like I was trying to put a diagnosis on Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And. It doesn't work. Like, it doesn't quite... And not, not that every person fits neatly into the pigeonhole that, you know, a, a medical textbook wants, wants people to be in, but, but it, um, that uh, delusion of the, of, of the night doesn't... You know, the hallucinations don't quite fit with what else is going on. Um, and how it happened. Yeah. But, you know, I I have to think about that. I think, I think the movie could survive without that because, because there is also so much else going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's an, there's an awful lot of like metaphors and shit in here that I'm kind of like, I found after a while to be a little redundant, I guess. What did he? What do you think he had? Dissociative identity disorder, or well, so just going that, back to your, what you're? What well, you're that's the thing. But he's he's hallucinating. Like he's having some things that seem very schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So, but then you're like, okay, it was triggered after the death of his wife. You know, with some sort of conversion disorder. You know, because it's not just depression. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a totally functional person. It sounds like before that, successful. Right. So that's what I'm saying. It doesn't doesn't quite fit. Yeah. I th- I think the whole the whole movie is so kind of not Terry Gilliam. I mean, especially like the ending. You know. Yeah. If you think about most of his movies, they don't end so tidily in. You know, there's a, like this there's strong romance thread. It's kind of the underpinning the whole thing. You know, like they, I thought one more crazy thing was going to happen toward the end. I didn't remember exactly how it ended, and I was like, "Wow, okay, this is kind of not Terry Gilliam at all." You know, yeah. and I think I think he knows that. I think this. I think he set set out to make kind of a non. I mean, he didn't obviously didn't 
choose to not do <laughs> what he normally does, but I think he also knew that he was doing something different. Because didn't it, didn't it say in the trivia that he like broke his rules, like not working in America, not sh- not shooting his own script, not working for a big studio. Like he he broke broke all those rules to do this movie. Yeah, and he didn't use any Monty Python people. You know, it's it's a different project for him. And I think there's, you know, I think he pro- I don't I can't guess why he would do it, but he got some acclaim for it. You know, like um, they got nominated for awards. Some people won some awards for this and I think that's what he wanted to do was kind of do a different you know like a movie that he wouldn't you wouldn't expect him to do maybe but I think that that um, sort of tension was also kind of obvious by the end at least to me I was thinking about like all his other movies I'm like wow this is just I mean like Colin was saying like the, the way he shot it and the way you know the stuff he does that's very him but overall, if you look at the whole movie, you're like, wow, that's, I wouldn't even guess that it's a Terry Gilliam movie. You know, maybe, maybe I'm being, maybe hitting the, maybe I'm hitting the ending stuff too hard, <laughs> but I mean, but I, I like it too. I think I mean, on paper, it doesn't seem like a Terry Gilliam movie, but I think no. while watching it, it, yeah, it kind of felt right. like Terry, Terry Gilliam wants to win an award, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or he wants to like prove his naysayers wrong or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like he that. To, I was he thinking wants to that. have himself a little prestige picture and. You know, right? I think he was fairly successful. He's not just a weird, you know. He doesn't just make weird movies or something. I don't know. But then, I mean, after that, he didn't. He did Twelve Monkeys after this. Yes. And he did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas after this. So, I don't know. I mean, after Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Terry Gilliam just makes total dog shit for you know until now. Which I think is which really disappoints me. Yeah. You know, there was a time where I'd be like, you know, he puts something out. I'm going to the theater to see yeah, it, yeah, like totally. before I, anybody else, because I don't want to hear other people's opinions or hear something early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. I remember going to the theater to see Twelve Monkeys. I don't remember what made me see it. I mean, I was, it sounds like you guys were like, "Oh yeah, Terry Gilliam," but I was more yeah. like, "This is a weird movie. I think I'd like to see it." But that one, that one blew, you know, that one was like the example of how you can kind of mess up the narrative and still have a really intriguing, satisfying kind of movie. Yeah. If that's a, if that's a fair assessment. I don't know. It, it, yeah. It sold me on, on Terry Gilliam. I was like, oh yeah, that's do more of that. <laughs> and then I think much later I saw Brazil on same, same feeling like that. You know, I really enjoyed that. I like that he doesn't, uh, you know, try to fit everything in the into a, a single sort of fable or or perspective or anything. You know, just it's. I mean, it is schizophrenic. It is like his his storytelling is all over the place, and that's what I like about it. So Fisher King is more like. You know, raining, raining, bringing those elements and then just kind of putting it into a, a more normal sounding, normal seeming movie. It's satisfying. I mean, I, I, I do like, I liked it this time. I liked the Fisher King again, but um, I'd say my main gripe is the, the weird connection of the, of the DJ to the, the crime, you know, like you, 
he talks to the guy, the guy commits this horrible act and then he sees it on the news mm-hmm. and then all you, and then he just sort of kind of goes, Oh, you know, he, he, there's not much of a reaction. And then the next thing we know, he's, yeah, he's down and out. It's been what, three years, maybe, I don't know. And he's, yeah, he's not. He, so he had to quit his job. He had to, he assumed responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to relate to that just to real life, I mean, you know, he talked to Howard Stern about this and I mean, he tried to get Howard Stern's tapes and stuff and Howard said, hell no. And, um, but <laughs> they asked, but Howard knew what the story was and he was like, well, if that, you know, if, if that had happened, I'd, I'd get back on the radio even if I was on vacation, you know, like he, he wanted to <laughs> like as, as an actual shock jock, I don't think Howard Stern would be that bothered if this actually happened to him. Yeah. If we can use him as, as the example, I'm glad, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm glad for the humanity of the, of Jeff Bridges character that he does freak out. I just would like to see what, what that means, you know? He just, he just quits his job. Because he is so callous and self-centered, uh, the rest of the time. Yeah. 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 Right. Until that moment, he's like, he's just, you know, in his own little head and, and worshiping himself and, um, and he's on his way and he's going to, now he's going to do a sitcom and, and then suddenly he, he has a moment of conscience or clarity or something. And it's like, Oh crap. Yeah. I can't just say whatever I want. They did it at the end too, because you know, his, his, his next moment of clarity where he, you know, decides to go back to uh, Mercedes rule. Um, they didn't, you know, they didn't really show that either. They showed it a little bit and that he was, you know, with the other woman momentarily, but then all of a sudden he's just showing up at, at her place. I don't think they, unless I'm not remembering, I don't think they really showed that transition either. You know, they showed him go back to being who he was. But they didn't show mm-hmm. him leave it again. Yeah. But the part when he, when he takes the meeting with his agent and then they start yeah, talking he walks about, a, out. because they're talking about a homeless they're talking about making homelessness fun or something. You know, they're making a character right. of that's a homeless guy, but he's, he likes to party. Or, I can't really remember exactly how it goes, but he's so disgusted by that because of what he's seen with Robin Williams that he's like, yeah, no, I can't do this. I mean, the class stuff is probably what attracted Terry Gilliam to it. You know, like the, the class difference like that he puts in Brazil, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I like, I like that stuff. I think it's a little too convenient. Some of it's a little too convenient, but I like that he does that. I like that his characters, you know, from the quote unquote gutter are really real and, and have a lot of personality and, and spark, you know, that they're real people. They're not just, you know, vagabond people, you know? Yeah. I love that stuff. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how Jeff Bridges sees it all the time. Like, how does he, I mean, other than like Sam was saying, like when Robin Williams shows up and the music and he's got his, you know, his spiel and he, he saves him, I guess, from, from these kids that are just 
uh, about to light him on fire. Yeah. You know. So he's got this weird, he's, you know, he's Lord of the Flies kind of, you know. Yeah. Or whatever this is a better analogy. I think, I, besides, besides, you know, I think the, the, the script has some issues too. It's a little too, um, like Sam was saying about the mental illness aspect being a little inconsistent. You know, not anything really lines up. Um, but I was just looking at the writer's sort of resume and I mean, Christ, you know, the, the, the one thing on his resume he's written that I think is actually quite good is the ref. You guys mm. ever seen that? Mm-hmm. Dennis Leary and, uh, Creeper yeah. McCreeperson from, uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> but then after that, it's like, this is a guy who wrote the bridges of Madison County. The Mirror Has Two Faces, The Horse Whisperer, Living Out Loud, Freedom Writers, P.S. I Love You. You know, like, oh, it's just I've seen some of those. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of them, but it's <laughs> like, it's just not shit I'm ever going to watch, you know. And I So you're think, talking about the adaptation or is, it, or is this, what is this the screenplay yeah. itself? Okay. Yeah. Isn't it an adaptation, or is it he just wrote this? No, he just wrote this. I don't think it's okay. a, I don't think it was a book. But it, you know, it succumbs. The convenience of the Amanda Plummer character bothers me. You know, their whole romance feels a little too, um, too just easy. convenient. You know, yeah. like uh, like just when he's finally, I don't know. Just <sighs> well, so that's the thing that also seems inconsistent with him. Mm-hmm. You know that he's he's finding love in this other person like it just but it, it just yeah something about it just didn't quite work yeah so this guy wrote unstrung heroes i forgot that movie even existed unstrung yeah i'm not familiar with that me neither it's about a kid who has to go live with his uncles um I think it's like John Tutoro oh, and Michael Richards. Oh, I the remember uncles. that. Yeah. Um. Ugh. <laughs> like the IMDb logline, you know, for this that movie I'm here is just just kills me. When a young when a youngster Christ when a youngster needs a break from the pressures of his parents' household, he moves in with his offbeat uncles and learns some invaluable life lessons. <laughs> no thanks, Diane Keaton. Youngster? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that just. Ugh. That sounds awful. I agree. I can't believe James Cameron was was considered to do this movie. Oh yeah, and he was doing T two at the time. Or he was already wow. into T2. Yeah. Like, I can't what? even imagine why I don't see how to. that would work. It's yeah. such a weird thing. It says, well, I mean, it's according to trivia. They don't really say why, but they say his vision would have been a more re- reality grounded caper film. For, I don't know how you, how you make that assumption. Hunter College is still the. Right. The great, yeah. Right. All, all that shit was weird. I don't know. It's like all he needed was some somebody to put a cup in his hand and it snaps him out of all this shit. It's the MacGuffin. Yeah, Yeah, it's the MacGuffin. I like that it wasn't that. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like I. In my memory, it was like, oh yeah, and they got to go on this quest and they climb some building or something. But it was it was toward the end. It was symbolic, of course. 
Yeah. And then the, the bonus of he, you know, sets off the alarm so the cops come and this guy was actually committing suicide with pills or something. Yeah. So he saved a, he saved a life. He saved two lives there, basically. <laughs> anyway, well, let's focus on what you did like, which is the performances. Yeah. I mean, you know... Yeah, like Robin Williams just telling us the story of the Fisher King is is worth it, you know? Yeah. I also, I, I generally, for the most part, I prefer Robin Williams, the actor, when he's a, a bit more restrained. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, watching old, I mean, if he's in a comedy, like a straight comedy, or watching his old stand-up or whatever, then like the manic energy I, I like, but... When he's, you know, one one of the things I like uh, about um, Goodwill Hunting is his performance on it. It's, it's like my favorite thing about that movie. Mm-hmm. Totally restrained. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Just him being a damn good actor. Mm-hmm. And in this, he has he's like sort of half and half, you know. And in, and in the moments where he's restrained, I really like a lot. And the one in the moments where it's it's more his manic energy, I was kind of like, you know, I mean, still Robin Williams, and I like him, but it's, it it starts to lose me a little bit. I guess because of the, you know again because of like the 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 subject matter at hand the plot as they tell it you know I don't know yeah well yeah. I, I think it's interesting that Mercedes Rules character is is putting up with uh, with Jeff Bridges yeah or Jack Lucas because of course he loved he she loves him but she's not trying to pressure him he's just like he know she she knows that he's going through his his stuff and, and he's giving, giving him time to do that. But her being there for him helps him be there for Robin Williams. And then which helps Robin Williams pursue his love interest. You know, it's like this weird cascade of kindness almost, I guess. Mm-hmm. You to... They're paying it forward, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, I don't think it's as obvious as that, which is what I like about it. I know they didn't, <laughs> you know, it sounds obvious when we say it like that, but Really, it's all kind of jumbled together. So you're like, oh, you know, that's just they're just trying to do the best they can, and you know. But yeah, I mean, I think the <laughs> the um, the the, ancil- the the side characters give it give it some real <laughs> life. Um, what's the actor's name that does that sings this sings the song to Lydia? Oh, it won the grand oh. prize. Michael no, Jeter. No. Michael Jeter. He's great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's in Central Park, just like in some horse shit or some mud or whatever. Like, just, <laughs> they come across him. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just enjoy that, the weirdness of it. And his, I just, I like him as an actor. Yeah. And, and then just, yeah, he has like a, everything he has about a, him. He has a great role in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, too. Oh, what is he doing now? He's at the, they end up at the, like, the anti-drug policeman's convention, and he's giving a speech <laughs> about oh, dangers of marijuana, and, like, <laughs> I don't know, it, like, it, it, of drugs in general, and it's just really great. It's so funny. I have to see that again. Yeah. Uh, just for the record, I've never actually seen Pay It Forward. I haven't either. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I never will. And again, it. The the like the the tagline on the movie poster is when someone does you a big favor, don't pay it back. 
pay it forward. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it, that's awful. <laughs> Just awful. I mean, come on. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, it's a little little too uh, a little too obvious. Anywho. Amanda, is- Pl- Amanda Plummer will always be the scary lady with um, spinal meningitis in the in the attic in the, fir- oh. the, the original Pet Cemetery. Good lord! Every time I see her, that's all I can think of, which terrified me as a child. That scene, those scenes with her. You don't Ugh. you don't think of Rose from So I Married an Axe Murder? No. Oh yeah, that's all I see. <laughs> that's all I see. <laughs> <laughs> I see that too. That's- I guess I, you know it's in the back of my brain, but she was just so creepy in in Pet Cemetery. It just always stuck with me. Oh, I didn't even know that was her. Yeah. <laughs> me neither. You weren't even that young when that movie came out. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> You're like 30. <laughs> In 1989? <laughs> All right, 25. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know, 15, okay. But still, that's kind of old to have a movie... Haunt you for the rest of your life. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah. I didn't like this the remake. Did you see the remake? I did not. No. They they kept pretty much everything, but they made the cemetery itself much larger. Like they they had to kind of climb over a, a valley, like some mountains and a valley, and they just had to go a lot farther for the hmm. the actual cemetery. But the basics of the movie are the same. Didn't really improve it. I mean, I, I don't know. I just don't understand why they make, you know, I mean, I've, I've um, complained about like the new Footloose because it's got awful, but yeah. like if it's, if you're going to make it almost the same as the original, just wh- why are you doing it? Like, yeah, I don't understand why people can't just watch the older movie. Mm-hmm. I like it when they strip away everything that made the original great. And then add in a bunch of fucking garbage that sucks, which is what happened with the Point Break remake, which was yeah. maybe maybe the worst remake of all time. Yeah, that's a bad one. I mean, I haven't seen it. I just seen more than 10 minutes everything of it. good about the original way. It literally just chopped it apart <laughs> and then filled in the gaps with unimaginable idiocy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till they remake Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. If you remade Pulp Fiction, like what the hell? Why would you do that? Right. That's what Amanda Plummer had. I love you, honey bunny. Oh, I think yeah. it's, more, it's more likely that someone will someday somehow figure out a way to make a Pulp Fiction 2. Mm-hmm. And it'll have, you know, nothing to do with the original. They'll just somehow manage to get the rights to use the title or something. I don't know. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty impressive that Mercedes Rule got an Academy Award off of this. It's pretty surprising. After she was in that horrible Married to the Mom movie we watched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's a double up. Yep. And I would say that when I watched this, her acting didn't stand out as incredible next to the two main stars. I thought she was good. No, I think they, they didn't really give just... her a ton to do, but. You know, no, I feel like she she did what she did well. Uh, getting an Oscar is kind of surprising, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we we highlighted her as what something we liked from Married to the Mob. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. There's like elements of that, of that energy, that frenetic energy she has in that movie. And she's kind of a scene stealer sometimes, but, but yeah, she has to kind of take a back seat to the, what's going on. She has to be like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll follow, I'll help you with this weird quest you have to get the, you know, these weird lovebirds and go to the Chinese restaurant and. Well, yeah, I think there's probably because she she did pull it, pull it back a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. That was an interesting year, though, too, because, you know, you you go back and you look at what the nominees were. It was Jessica Tandy for Fried Green Tomatoes, Kate Nelligan for The Prince of Tides, which I don't really remember, Diane Ladd for Rambling Rose, don't remember, Juliette Lewis for Cape Fear. Very... Juliet Lewis for Cape Fear. Okay. Yeah. I think but, the Prince of Tides is the one where he says, Lowenstein, Lowenstein. Right? Maybe, maybe not. I think it is. I don't think I ever saw Prince of Tides. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think pretty that's good. something I'd like. I don't think you'd like it, but I think it's <laughs> objectively pretty good. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I ever seen, Have I seen Fried Green Tomatoes? I don't think I have. I'm not sure I've seen that. So Robin Williams was nominated for Best Actor for this movie, but he lost it to Anthony Hopkins' Silence of the Lambs. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Jodie Foster won it that year, too. Yeah. She got what? For supporting, or she got a... No, for... for not... For what? Leading, best Actress in a Leading Role. For Silence of the Lambs or something else? Yeah, Silence, yeah, of, the Silence of the Lambs. Okay. That's because Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon split the vote with Thelma and Louise. <laughs> it is, it is an it interesting thing. Yeah, they were both nominated. That's crazy. Yeah. Very interesting. They yeah. uh, tanked their awards like they tanked that convertible. <laughs> huh. hmm. the, uh, the It's interesting looking at the Oscars that year. Like, there's no clean sweep the way there is now, you know? Yeah. Like Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster won, but like beyond that, I guess Jonathan Demi won. So I guess it was kind of a, kind of a sweep. Never mind. Well, I, uh, yeah, looking kind at of. those movies, and you look at, I mean, this many yeah, years later, Silence of the Lambs is still highly memorable. Yeah, people referenced all the time. Whereas mm-hmm. the other four, not really. Yeah. The Best Picture nominees are, are kind of strange. Like, Silence of the Lambs won, so I, my not sweeping isn't exactly true. But, like, Beauty and the Beast, um, Ugsy, which I don't, I, hmm. I've seen, I don't have any memory of JFK, which I like, and then The Prince of Tides, which I'm, I've never seen. I'd take Terminator 2 over any of them. Yeah, that was there. <laughs> I don't know. Terminator 2 versus Silence of the Lambs. Well, yeah, that's true. Okay, except that's for Silence of the Lambs. But I meant the other nominees, the Best Picture nominees. Did you guys know, notice Baron Munchausen on the in the video store? Like, there's a big yeah. thing of his head, right? Yeah. I mean, there's all <laughs> kinds of references to other movies, but... Yeah. It made, yeah. Me, it made me miss video stores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
<laughs> get your little laminated card and <laughs> get a free one every five or whatever the hell. I didn't uh, see Baron. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. no I was no. just going to talk about Terry Gilliam again. Like yeah. Baron Munchausen, the adventures of Baron Munchausen. I didn't, I'd heard about it for years and I definitely didn't see it. Like, I, you know, I saw the Fisher King. Uh, I saw Brazil later. Saw, you know, but I, I came to it late and I didn't know what, I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is it's, um, if you, if you didn't like Terry Gilliam, I, you know, like most people I could say, Oh, what, you saw 12 monkeys and they're like, yeah, but I don't, you know, I'm not really a Terry Gilliam fan. If you're not, if you were on the fence, I would say, watch that movie. And if you don't, if you like that movie, <laughs> that, you that like movie Terry will Gilliam. break you. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like that movie, you're probably not going to like Terry Gilliam movies. I'm not sure why I put that one out as a different, as a sort of a, just like, there's a, like a silliness to it. And there, you know, like the storytelling is obviously almost mythological or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's, yeah. it's exaggerated, yeah. it's exaggerated mm-hmm. storytelling. But if you like that, then, you know, that's kind of what he gives you. It's like this fever dream representation of things and, you know, yeah. Which I I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of drawn to that that kind of stuff. And and maybe it's because in a movie like that it makes sense. In in the Fisher King, maybe you know, it doesn't really work. Or it doesn't work in the same way. Yeah. Anyway. I know we're all we all like Terry Gilliam, so it, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, that one definitely is more bizarre than than this one. Yeah, and it seems. Uh, do you think it works? To does it serve the story? Like bizarre in a good way. Oh, I think it's fun. I, you know, you, I always give credit for people who are willing to try to break the mold or and be really creative or yeah, all that. So I always give leeway for ridiculousness um so probably the wrong person to ask like if i if i was if it's it's i keep a list of like strange movies to recommend to people if they are interested in strange movies they might have seen um that's on there Hmm. but it's not something that yeah it's for everyone but do you agree that you wouldn't put the fisher king on that list of terry gilliam movies because I don't reason. think I mean, Fisher King is as strange. It's, yeah, that's my, I mean, that's I think going too. back to Coe's original criticism, it was like, hey, maybe he was doing this thing to, to just prove <laughs> he can, he can do it. You yeah. know. Well, also, you know, I think Baron Munchausen was a huge, huge bomb. Yeah. Like gigantic, like career-ending. People movie. didn't see it, right? <coughs> it's like 1988. <coughs> And so for Terry Gilliam coming off of that, it was probably a little scary where he's like, oof, I spent all this money on a, a fucking movie nobody saw. Like, what if nobody ever lets me do anything again? You know, and no one ever gives me any money to make another film. And then the Fisher King comes along and it's like, here are these two A-list actors and, a, you know, a, a, a far more accessible story than Mar- mm-hmm. Baron Munchausen, you know, for a much wider audience. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to have factored in. Where he's like, all right, I got, I got to get back on track here, <laughs> and yeah. maybe this is like a safe way of doing it. 
or a yeah, surefire I, way of doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, they brought in $8 million at the theater and it cost 46.6 to make. Woo. Wow. Whoops. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there aren't many jobs where you can oversee, you know, a $40 million loss. <laughs> and still have that still job. Still have your job. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Got a lot of double ups. Yeah. Like everybody. Everybody. Is rule. <laughs> Jeff Bridges from. Why am I blanking on Jeff Bridges? He did that Western writer. Western, oh. yeah. Because <laughs> what was that called? <laughs> Hearts, Hearts of the, of the West. West. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, we're gonna come back to Jeff Bridges again for sure. So I was starting small <laughs> <laughs> with some obscure shit. There was a, there was one called Rancho Deluxe. I don't know if you heard that one. That's like 1975. No. It's it's some weird crime caper movie, and I almost picked that one, but it was even more fucked up than parts of the West in a bad way, you know? Hmm. All right. And so you're welcome. Did you guys catch Harry Shearer as the sitcom star that he was supposed to? Have? Yeah. Well, oh. excuse me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. It was, uh, what is it? He's like, yeah. What? 15 or 20 voices on, on Simpsons. Yeah. He's huge. Yeah. So wait, did I, that so that sitcom was the one he was about to do, mm-hmm. like he was about to audition for. Mm-hmm. And so he uh, he missed the audition, but is that? I don't think it was an audition. Or like he was he was already was doing it? the it was a read I thought he, I thought was he was already through. cast and they He's were already started. cast and then they said and they were like starting shooting the next day. So he was so distraught by. What happened that he couldn't make the or call they, time or something? Or they canned him or something because the publicity, the publicity? that came with him was terrible. I would, sure. have, I would have liked to know I, that. You know, did like, they mention that? Did they? I no, thought they did. They, or did I read that in? I thought he, he ended up making some comment um, to his agent that kind of hinted that they dropped him. Hmm. I wasn't sure because, I mean, there's no stigma anymore i mean i guess it's been a few years but he gets right back in it uh, you know oh, he calls his agent and was like oh, oh that, that reminds cool. me i mean i kind of i it bothered me a little bit that robin williams never acknowledges who jeff bridges is like are we to believe he doesn't know which seems extremely unlikely um you mean well jeff bridges doesn't ever admit to who, his role does he no i not to Robin Williams, but wouldn't Robin Williams know who he was? If this terrible thing happened to his wife, wouldn't he know? Something that affected him so completely? I think he was off the reservation as soon sure. as that murder happened. You know, he saw his wife killed in front of him. And so he probably didn't care why it happened. You know, hmm. that's that, that was my thought was like, I don't think he looked into it any further than that. Like, it's a, it's some nut job with a gun. You know, like, why would you you know, read up on it and find out, oh, well, he he called into a radio show and the, you know, 
the guy said, it's us or them, you know, that the, that the people at this restaurant, meaning him, he was actually talking about Robin Williams, uh, you know, was the enemy. So it's weird that, like, Jeff Bridges, his character, you know, Jack doesn't have to, like, admit, even though he is helping him the entire time and he's, he's all twisted up in his life, he doesn't actually say, well, look, I mean, probably because, you know, he's got bigger, they've both got bigger fish to fry, like, he's on some mythical quest and he doesn't even know who, you know, he thinks his name is Perry and, you know, like, he's trying to help Robin Williams connect with reality, he doesn't want to this first part of reality to be, oh, by the way, I had a, I had played a role in your wife's death. But I would have liked to known how that, you know, how that would go, I guess. I don't know. I was just, uh, the whole time I was just waiting for like a, just like a, a, a quiet moment where Robin Williams just kind of turns him, you know, turns him and says like, you know, and by the way, Jack, I know, I know who you are, but mm. you know, it's okay. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, just kind of like great. Yeah, just like a short little thing, and then they have a moment, you know. Yeah, I agree. I think that and like Jeff nice. Bridges is it's sort of given permission to live his life again, you know, in in his mind, from his point of view, or something. Yeah, I kept waiting for that, and I was like, I oh, have yeah, bummer. I would have liked that. <laughs> is I mean, is Rob Williams coherent? before sort of the end I mean he's I mean he is in a way like he can you know he can do all kinds of stuff but it's as this other person you know he doesn't really he talks about the Fisher King story as something he heard from a professor and he was probably the professor that was right. that was doing that lecture so he has mm-hmm. no idea you know what what world what came before or at least he's not interested in that right now you know he's I don't know. I mean, I if I had a second criticism, and of course I do. Um, Only two? <laughs> <laughs> it's that the the mental illness aspect is made too simplistic. That, you know, he's he's getting help. You know, he's in a facility. He's, he's off the streets. I mean, he was semi-homeless. He actually had a place to stay. He wasn't fully homeless, which was interesting. But, um... But yeah, I mean, it's there's no like, oh, well, we got to get you back to the college, or it's it's more like, no, let's just get you on your feet, get you, you know, get you safe, get you some food, whatever. But, but he's so like, um, I don't know. He's such an interesting character, whatever version of him of of Perry he is, you know, like he's that we we sort of lose sight of, like, well, yeah, he has to have a real life now, and it ends with. Them just, you know, hanging out naked in Central Park, you know, look, looking at clouds and stuff. And then there's that, there's some fireworks in the background and stuff. And it's, that's why it was so, it's so weird that to me that it's so tidy of a finish because that's so not Terry Gilliam. Yeah. But I'm sure there's, I mean, I guess probably he, he, if, if you um, pushed him, he probably would say, well, we're not done. You know, he's not, this isn't the end for either of these guys, they still have work to do, you know, they still have new relationships that they have to work on. They have to, you know, they have to live in the real world as well as whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not horrible. It's just that 
at times I just kept thinking it's a little too easy, you know, or a little too black and white, which is, you know, like you're like, there's, <laughs> there's no talk of a, of, of talking to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or any, any of that stuff. Like there's, we kind of, we kind of sidestep the, the true like clinical mental health thing. Don't you think, Sam? I mean, isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the cure comes in a stolen, you know, a, a stolen uh, trophy, you know? Yeah. Um, which doesn't make sense. I guess we just assume it makes sense to him, right? Yeah. But that's, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I, I, you know, I guess it makes you wonder what it really takes to get people to be functional again. And, um, you know, could could really uh, a shock shock do it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess, you know, I guess that's the thing. It depends. You know, this is a, a good movie, not a great movie. And I, I think, you know, being able to hold up to all sorts of scrutiny is kind of what makes a difference between the two. Um, you know, there's plenty of things to pick apart and there's, there's plenty of things to enjoy. And, I think for me, the, the watching the main actors do their thing is enjoyable. Having things get a little weird is enjoyable. Mm -hmm. um, but does it really stand up to to scrutiny? Um, no, there's lot. There's. I mean, obviously, we've picked out a lot of little flaws. But it, I also think that if people are going to make a list of their favorite Terry Gilliam movie, this one's probably not going to be for people who actually like him and like his whole body of work this isn't going to be the one you know yeah but I, you know I, I keep you know going back in my mind to you know what Cohen said about you know if it was a different director and all that you know what, what could it be because you have these awesome actors you know doing their thing but at the same time this redemption story is you know, the synopsis I gave is really simplistic and it seems like it would be also easy to have it just be a total disaster, you know, to have it just be too heavy handed yeah, and sure. too false with how, how it moves forward. Mm -hmm. And I would bet that that's exactly how it was written too. Because some of it Terry does, Gilliam put in his, yeah. And I think yeah. some of it comes through despite Terry Gilliam despite his style, some of that still comes through. So like it would, yeah, it would have to be like a combination of a, like a really first rate director and maybe like a pass on the script to sort of, you know, tidy up the, the schmaltz a bit, you know, the convenience and the, you know, the sort of coincidences and shit or whatever. It is, you know, now that, now that we've been discussing this for eight hours straight, it's also given me time to, to think about your, you know, your comment about the red Knight is that, when you look back and you think of all the great moments in this in this movie and all the things that that really tell the story, you you don't need that to yeah. have it still be everything <clears throat> because there's still enough other things going on, you mm -hmm. know. And it, maybe only, and maybe without it, it makes Robin Williams, you know, the severity of his of his mental illness and or his mental illness seem more real. 
you know, because mm -hmm. anybody could slip into horrible depression after someone they love is murdered, you know, and everyone, anyone could become like, like dysfunctional from that, mm -hmm. but they don't, you don't necessarily need the, the hallucination of, of a mythical night trying to hunt you down, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. in a modern movie, I'd say it'd probably be like a couple of frames, like a flash. You know, you you're on, you're focused on the character, and then you see a flash of the Red Knight or whatever it is, whatever it is is going through their brain, and then back to the scene. You know, whereas this is like, you know, they had done all this work on the Red Knight with the, they had two different horses and they had all this stuff, and I didn't realize until reading about it that they that he was trying to like the Red Knight the sort of the explosion of color in the red night is supposed to be her, her head exploding, you know, as awful as that is, that's kind um, of what he was trying to do. And I think it was a little too heavy handed. I mean, we wait till a cr critical moment to find out, to actually relive the, the diner scene, you know, it was sort of, sort of late in the game, I think. But I mean, I just, yeah, it could have been more economical, less, you know, a different, a different director would do it a different way. And, you know, we already covered Cohen's misgivings about that stuff. But I think also it just takes away from this, what we talked about, the performances, the narrative that like, what's happening right now. I mean, we know he's messed up. We know he's got an altered, a whole ego or a whole uh, persona based on how messed up he is. You know, we know he's in trouble. We don't need it. We don't need to be reminded of that. But when I then when I think about that, when I was a kid, that's the stuff I remember. I remember this sort of crazy night that was chasing him around and thinking, wow, that's whatever that is. That's bad. You know, he's kind of deal with that, you know. So it's, it kind of I don't know. It's it's kind of a throwback thing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's the, um, you know, there's other there are movies that use these you know this plot device like beast of the southern wild and things like that and mm. for the most part i like it when they do it like i'm 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 okay with it mm -hmm. um but a lot of the other movies that do it aren't so rich without the escapism into the dream or the hallucination or the, the yeah. make-believe world yeah whereas this one's a really rich world that's pretty funny too. It. I think you know, it's got funny yeah. moments and yeah, weirdness and it's got a lot going for it. All right, what are we doing next? Oh, you're done with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we do all the dollops? I think we did. I mean, it pretty much Whatever. would just tell people to see it. <laughs> like, it's, if you're gonna, if you have any interest in any of the people here, Robin Williams, Terry Gilliam, Jeff Bridges. You know, Mercedes yeah. rule. Mercedes rule. <laughs> like this is this is uh, you know you you want to be like hey quirky Amanda Plummer parts, uh, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, there there for some reason the way he loves her and imagines about her and the way she is it kind of reminded me of Amelie, like. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I know. I liked watching her try to eat and 
drops drop her food and <laughs> that. she she loves dumplings but and she gets them like once a week but she can't use chopsticks what the hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right anyway where where are we going uh it's my pick right yep yeah all right staying in the 90s, the 80s? No, oh, staying so. in the 90s just fast forward a few years uh-huh um Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you're still deciding not to. No, no, I'm just like trying to give a good clue that doesn't give it away immediately. It's how about this? It's it's the film where Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman got together. Oh. They, they got married after. It's one of the sunset movies then. Right? Before no. sunset or before no. sunrise, you mean? Before sunrise? Sun- uh no, no that's no. not Uma Thurman. That's Julie Delby. No. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know who Uma Thurman is? <laughs> I do. She's in Adventures <laughs> she's, she's in the original version of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay, that's not the gimme I thought it was. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I don't remember Uma Thurman m- movies before Pulp Fiction. Okay. I mean, I, well, um, she was just in. Um, shoot, we were actually. She was actually just in a. In a the other movie reference with with Robin Williams it was with she oh, was yeah. Venus and yeah she's uh, Venus and Baron Munchausen Munchausen yeah. Yeah. yeah totally um it's, I can't remember what she's in it's she's, science fiction <laughs> darn so not truth about cats and dogs okay no <laughs> no won't be picking that like, <laughs> I didn't think so I have seen it I have seen it. <laughs> I watched that because it had Janine Garofalo on it. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Uh, so Jude Law is also in it. Oh, man. Jude Law? <gasps> I know what it is. Yeah? It's it's right up Sam's alley. Um, kind of literally, but that's an that's a, that's a inside joke. It's Gattaca. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yes, that's, that's awesome. That's oh, later. Yes, it's what? That that's later than I was thinking. Oh, is that late ninety? I was trying to go before Pulp Fiction. Oh, Pulp Fiction was ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah, mm-hmm. ninety four. Oh yeah. Yeah, Gattaca. I remember seeing in the theater. Yeah. yeah. Cool sci fi. It's kind of kind of a a, a low key movie. Yeah. And, uh, understated. I still remember parts of that, though. That. I don't remember it well, but hmm, moderately well. It's been a while. Where it can we watch Gattaca? available on... Uh, you can rent it on Prime. Uh, looks like it's only available for rentals. Oh, wait, hold on, free. Nothing! <laughs> it says it's only available for rent. Or buy. Should you feel so inclined to purchase it, you can buy it for four ninety nine, or you can rent it for three ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> and it was directed by Andrew Nichol. Mm-hmm. Who the hell is that? We'll get into it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. Next time, people. Yeah. Hold your horses. Until then, this has been our best review yet. Oh yeah. Right indeed, up there. indeed. The holy I mean, grail of reviews. Yeah. 
beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Until the holier grail. <laughs> All right. Cool. We should stop. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. What? That's Come not on. what you say. Yeah, that's not your thing. That's enough, movie buff. <laughs> I'm out. There it is. I feel so much better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. See you yeah. next time. For hey. Gattaca. You can stream it for free on archive.org. What? Yeah. Weird. Haven't I told you about this Internet Archive? I know I know about archive.org. Yeah. I just didn't know you could find anything made after 1930 on it. <laughs> no, it's really <laughs> weird what shows up and what doesn't. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, was the Fisher King part of the Criterion Collection? Or am I just... I, I don't think or so. Or was that the last movie we did? No. Last movie we did was Scrooge. That wasn't in there. Hmm. Anyway. All right, I'm out again. We're into the new year, and we are out of our minds. Well, at least I am. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Love to know Cut. where to go with that. Sorry. Cut. That's the fun with your brains. Hey, boop.